online, on Radio Player, and on 106.6 FM. This is Wickham Sound. Welcome to Mimi Meets. You're listening to Mimi Harker. And as with every week on this show, I like to bring you somebody who has influenced my life or somebody I've met and I think is really fabulous and fascinating. And I want to share that person with you. Now, the gentleman in my studios today is, well, let's put it this way. We met in very salubrious surroundings. We met at Dorney Wood. Uh, Yes, indeed. And um, it was a wonderful evening. It was a charity dinner and it was being hosted by the chairman of Bucks County Council. And we were there to fundraise for her various charities at that point. And talking to this gentleman, there were so many things going on. And he is so fascinating. And he's just got his fingers in lots of different pies. And I just thought, what a great guest he will be for the show. So without further ado, I would love to introduce to you Brigadier Robin Bacon. And Robin, welcome to the studios at Wickham Sound. Thank you so much, Mimi. It's a great pleasure to be here. Well, it's really lovely to have you here. And I'm so glad we finally managed to get a date in the diary for you to come in. So tell us a little bit about you. I served in the army for 34 years. I came out and then worked uh, worked in the charity sector, working for ABF, the Soldiers Charity, for the last nine years. I was brought up in Litchfield in the Midlands, uh, joining the army. Of course, you then move around. And so I've lived in Germany, Hong Kong. I've worked in Southern Africa, uh, worked at Belize, the Falklands, you know, all over the globe. Mm-hmm. My favorite place was definitely Hong Kong. And I'm going back there to visit some old veterans in a Is couple of weeks' right? time. Is that right? Oh, yes. how lovely. Why Hong Kong? I served there as a youngster and I really took to the, the culture and the respect of the, for the people the soldiers were incredibly loyal to the crown, yet they're Hong Kong Chinese, and why should they be? You know, they never yes. got passports in 1997, and 8,500 of them are left there now. And they're, don't me wrong, most of them are very, very happy, and they want to stay in Hong Kong. Yes. Hong Kong is a prosperous place, but it's a tough place as well to live in. And so I'm a trustee of a charity which looks after them uh, when they're in sickness and, and at poor health. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people, 8,500 veterans on the other side of the world. Yes. Do you speak the language? A little bit. Uh, <laughs> it's a very difficult language. It's, it's, it's the, the tones. I can understand a lot of it. I can understand the bad language, which I, I learned as a, as a youngster. <laughs> uh, so I won't say any of that on here. But uh, it's all the niceties. And if you can do the niceties, you know, Joe San, you know, sing song, good morning, mm-hmm. you know, then it goes a long way. And people are very surprised and they like it. They don't expect the Guaylo foreign devil to, to understand a word. You know, so it's, it's a wonderful place to be. And I'm just going to describe you as well for our listeners. So Robin is very, very tall. Six so, foot seven. Yeah, actually. I mean, that's, that's Peter yes. Jones-esque, you know, because yes. when I got my certificate from Peter Jones, even with my very, very, very high heels, I still only came up to about not even quite yes. his chest. <laughs> yes, I think he's exactly the same height. Yes. Uh, and in Hong Kong in the early days, it was very unusual. So um, they, people would go... Ayah, yeah, ayah was a sort of sign, uh, and a golo, tall, tall, tall man. <laughs> but I'm very used to it. It's, it's just one of the, it's, I'm half Dutch, and so the Dutch are the tallest people in Europe, uh-huh. and so some of that must have rubbed off, you know, through my mother. Well, it must have done. Yes. You're six foot seven. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. So, what else was it about Hong Kong that you loved? I love the food. Mm. Uh, absolutely 
not just Cantonese food, but across the piece. I like it when mm-hmm. it's a little spicy Shetuan yeah. food. Oh, good. You know, the good old Peking duck in, yeah. in different ways. Uh, I know we're going to a duck restaurant when I'm out there in March, uh, and it was absolutely delicious. But the thing is, you know, about Chinese food, it's not in, out in Hong Kong, it's not full of carbohydrate. You know, you're not eating bowls and bowls of noodles and rice. You're eating vegetables, you know, fish, sea, different sorts of seafood, of course. Um, they're great ones for pork. Um, and then there's some delicacies which you eat but don't ask. Okay. <laughs> you just pop it on the chopstick, chuck it in and say, thank Example? you very much, delicious. Example? No, you've got to tell us like Well, sort of bits of sea cucumber. You think, oh, is, is that something I would normally eat? And you just get on and, and eat it. <laughs> and there's some very strange things at the bottom of the sea which, which they eat. Um, there's a funny saying, actually, with, from one of our friends out there. Where he said, you know, he can eat anything um, as long as with four legs, as long as it's not a table. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant, absolutely yeah. brilliant. So, in service, what what was your role? I was start. I was a logistician to start with. Um, what does that mean? That means looking after you know the, all the supplies and so on. So, for example, as a commanding officer in Bosnia in the mid nineties with the NATO force, then we were responsible for resupplying all the NATO force across the Balkans. So whether it was fuel, I wouldn't say it was ammunition because we didn't fire any shots uh, because we were there to peacekeep. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fuel, the food, the spare parts and spare parts. I was talking to someone yesterday about this who works for um, the motor trade. And I said, well, I had to get things like tank track to people, whereas you know, you're looking at you know, widgets for cars yes, uh, for yes. the local garage. Yes. Uh, and so it's, it's quite a, a challenge. But the same principles. So a lot of army logistics is uh, rubbed off into uh, the civilian world. I mean, it's, as so many terms have. Yes. I mean, strategy, the term strategy was um, a military term. It's a Greek military term, uh-huh. but it's, it comes from, a lot of things do come from the military. Yes. We, do you know, it's funny because um, my hubby's also Robin, as you know, because yes. we, we all met and we were joking about it. It's a good job all my family weren't there because my daughter's also Robin. <laughs> so that would have been fun. <laughs> but we were talking absolutely about this the other day because, because obviously of my work with the armed forces. And we were saying how many of those terms that we use as everyday little throwaways um, come from you know, the armed forces and, and it's, it's military language. Yes, yes. It's astonishing. It is astonishing. And the meanings behind them when yes. you actually start to analyse them. Yes. Common sense. Yes. Sometimes they get lost in the midst of time. So when we talk about, oh, there's a NAFI break, people say, what does that mean? Yeah. Well, NAFI, NAFI actually was the organisation during the war, during the Second World War, which provided sort of tea and wads, which is the name for tea and a sandwich, but they didn't say sandwich, they say a wad. <laughs> so you have a tea and a wad and the profits from the NAFI came in to help form the soldier's charity in 1944 because actually at the end of the first world war veterans went back onto the streets and it was a bit like you know, the aftermath of waterloo i mean they weren't mm-hmm. really well looked after mm-hmm. uh, with, you imagine how many blind and wounded there were at the end of the first war he really needed more help and so in 1944 a year before the end and of course they didn't know when the end was uh, it was thought you know let's set up a proper charity to to look after yes. these, these people and is that so how your charity that, started that's how we started and, yes. and montgomery did a very starchy speech which is uh, we, we, nothing to we're do going with to get the it off. we're going to get it on um path a news you yes know, it's, yes it's yes. very from its time, you know, it was there in 1945, I think in 1945 he recorded it, and it's very stilted, and it's, it's, it's 
that old-fashioned way of speaking, uh, very eloquent and very clipped. Um, and he said, if every person gives a little bit of money, every man, woman, and sort of does their duty and gives money to this charity, then we'll look after yes. those veterans from the Second World War. And of course, we look after people all over the world. Yes, um, we we think about seventy thousand people were reached by us each year. 62 countries uh, last year. Wow. Sometimes it's done through uh, other organizations. So we work through Royal Commonwealth Ex Services League to, to get to people in Myanmar. I was going to say Burma, but you know, yes. actually when they were when they were veterans of the British Army, of course, it was Burma. Yes. And some strange places uh, around the world. You know, there's in Somalia, a lot of your audience, or some, some may know about it, but there used to be a British Somaliland in the north of Somalia. Right. And we have former soldiers still living there from the Second World War. And wow. we, in this country, we know we've supported 32, 33 Second World War veterans during this last year with direct support. And yes. These are people of an age who have needs for mobility support and so on and by goodness they deserve our support absolutely absolutely do absolutely this i have to be honest with you this is one of my real bugbears when i see stories of our people our people who have served in the armed forces and who come out um, and not a million miles away from here about literally about 18 not even that far maybe 12 14 miles down the road we have an ex um serviceman who is homeless Yes. And he lives on the corner of this particular... We all know who he is. Um, lots of people that sit on the board that I sit on, the, the Covenant board, will know exactly who I'm talking about. But he has been so ignored by... You know, he's not been looked after after he's served. Yes. And that's a big problem, I think. I don't know if you agree with me on that one. It, it is a r- real concern. I was involved in one of the um, rough sleeping task forces um, many years back under a Labour government. And it was a very worthy cause. And very, it was run by this lovely lady called Louise Casey, who was a, a Tony Blair appointee as mm-hmm. a sort of Tsarina of these things. Mm-hmm. And she didn't take any prisoners. And she was absolutely fantastic running mm-hmm. this task force. And I was co-opted onto it. And looking at the problem, really, in London and elsewhere, rough steepers, the truth of the matter is, is that the definition is very, very difficult. Yes. You could be, we like to think of it as someone who hasn't got their own permanent place yeah. you know, having a hostel one night or, or it's not the same as no. the, you, you know that's pretty much homeless yes um not so many end up in cardboard boxes under the viaduct and so on there's not so many of those and indeed in london many of those aren't you aren't necessarily uk passport holders yes. and or have served in the british army uh, but there's one near me in the office and he has his regimental number two four five six seven eight nine ten wherever it was mm-hmm. and he served in the royal army ordnance corps and he sells big issue and you know a lot of us support him but he doesn't want to be homed you know he's he's got ptsd and so on and he he wants to lead the life he does mm. and so you can give so much yes that's, uh, and, that's that is also true yes and, and we believe very much in in the hand up, not the hand out. And I found myself giving a £5 note to a lady in Waterloo Station the other night, and I thought, I wonder what she spent it on. Yes. And my wife said, you should have bought her a coffee instead. You that's what I do. You should have given her the money. And I said, yes, you, you know, you're completely right, but on the spur of the moment, I decided yes. to give her £5. No, pounds. that's exactly what I do, because I used to give money, because I thought, well, you can buy whatever you need then. And the, the last person I did that with, he needed six cans of something, so, and that's what he brought. And when I came back the, you know, from where I was going, and I came back, and there he was sitting there with his cans, and I just thought, oh, I've just fueled that. Yes. And that was the last time I gave money. And yes. after that, I do, I will go and buy them food and a hot drink. Absolutely, that's the right thing to do. Yeah. But in terms of giving money, um, 
I also find myself personally, because I obviously know so much about it, mm. I don't really like putting money into a bucket. Not that I don't give, because I do, but yeah. I'd much rather give her an envelope with a gift aid certificate. Yes. Um, and then, of course, you get 25% more or whatever. So that's it's much more efficient. And I keep telling people off in the local church and so on, come on, where's the gift aid envelopes? Yes, you know. yes, indeed. And you're quite right, because that makes such a big difference. I yes. mean, it adds, 20, is it 25%, 25% more yeah. onto that whatever it is you've given, yes. which is wonderful. I mean, what a big, big difference that makes if everybody does it. I mean, there's clearly, there's obviously times for shaking a bucket, and that's great. Uh, and when you shake a bucket in this part of the country or in London you mm-hmm. get a lot of euros and all sorts of coins yes. as well but thankfully the banks seem to detect that it's very difficult for those machines where you sort the money yeah. and, they, and they weigh these things yes. and they say well they, you've got a, <laughs> that's supposed to be £100 of coins and well no it can't be and you have to go through each each bag and find the euro mm. or mm. whatever it might be mm. or, or a, well it could be a Hong Kong dollar or something indeed <laughs> oh I've had some really odd bits and pieces because I'm always fundraising for charities yeah. I've had some seriously strange things appear in the collection boxes, I can assure you. <laughs> I wish actually I'd taken, because I love taking photos. I don't know why I haven't got a photographic um, history of all the different weird things that people have put in buckets. Yes. Because believe you me, it's not just money. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's very strange indeed. The charity that you are working with... ABF, the Soldiers Charity. Indeed. Is that just based... You talked about overseas personnel. So is that basically where the help goes? No, all across all across the UK. I mean, we we were set up as the Army Benevolent Fund. It yes. changed nine years ago to make it more inclusive. Mm-hmm. It had been called the Soldiers Charity, then Chimes, uh, with more people. The ABF bit, some of our older supporters, that's what they remember and they like, and that's where people who tend to give us a legacy you know, will, will recognize the Army Benevolent Fund. But really, all over the country, because if you think about it, British soldiers, if we take 10% of them now are from the Commonwealth, and so that could be, you know, from Fiji, St. Lucia, Ghana, you know, Nigeria, bring it on, wonderful people. Uh, I, I love having, you know, the, the mixed skills and attributes you get in, in a unit. And uh, certainly when I was commanding officer, I had a lot of the Commonwealth soldiers who were tremendous athletes. Yes. I had um, two members of the Nigerian um, bronze medal winning Commonwealth Games sprint team, <laughs> would you believe? Now these guys, they just go off and it was like something you see on television where they would be running off with, with the baton on the 4x4 relay. Yeah. And it looked like everyone else was stationary. You know, they were just so fast. And they were soldiers. And, they, and I was blessed to have them in my unit. Amazing. You know, so. Absolutely And they amazing. brought a lot more, to, lot more to it, of course. Indeed. You know. Indeed. I had um, fascinating talking to you, I have to say. Um, such an amazing life you've led. And now you're the chairman of this wonderful charity. Actually, I'm the chief of staff. It's oh, so sorry, you're the chief of, of staff. Term. But those of you who watch you know, West Wing and so on, it's not quite the same as uh, the. I that love sort of West Wing. <laughs> but my role really is to, to pull the charity together. Yes. And uh, so fingers in lots of pies. Yes. Uh, this event, which we're going to talk about shortly. Yes. Uh, but really making sure the charity works effectively and going forward. Indeed. And the charity has to have funds. You have to raise funds for the charity because otherwise, how does it survive? Unless, of course, it just survives on benevolent donations, which I'm not sure it does, because I don't know any charity that can just simply survive on donations. You have to actively go out there to encourage people to donate. And you've got quite an incredible, exciting event coming up. We have. We have the Rifle Run. Um, the Rifle Run is going to take place on Sunday, 14th of April this year. And it's at the EGA Churchill uh, Shooting Ground, which is uh, at Park Lane End in High Wycombe. Uh, only about 10 minutes drive from the studios. Indeed. And 
we held this event last year in March and the beast from the east came in about two days beforehand. <laughs> so people had to run around in the snow. Oh, wonderful. Uh, um, the event itself, it's based on a military model that's very, very popular in the services or it is popular with the younger servicemen, I think, of those with the energy because it's what we call a march and shoot. You actually have to run about 10 kilometres, okay. minimum of 10 yep. kilometres. And then you go on the ranges three times uh, and you fire at uh, different targets. If at Two of them were with rifles and one is with a shotgun at Clay Pigeon. So it's a fascinating uh, event and, of course, people get coached. So you're not told, oh, well, just here, here's a rifle and get on with it. There's a coach on each firing point to make sure you do the right thing. But you have got to run round in between. So it's uh, you have to listen to the coach because if you don't listen to the coach and you miss the target, then you have a fine of running a 250-metre loop for each, <laughs> each one you miss. So in theory, on 20 shots, you could do an extra five kilometres, oh which my is goodness. quite exhausting on a, a, sunny, oh my a sunny day. Well, I have to say, for me, um, it's probably a bit of a no-no. I can't imagine myself running a fraction of a kilometre, let alone 10,000. So. <laughs> um, but if anybody wants to do it, I mean, do you have to be trained? Do you have to be um, an, an athlete? Do you have to be somebody that's used to doing it? Who is going to do this? Absolutely everybody. All sorts of ages and ranges of people. And there's no particular skill in, in, involved because you do get coached. What's very key to an event like this is actually you've got to take it steadily. So if you sprint in, and running hard and then you're breathing like a whatever it is yeah. you're sucking air in from Southampton your <laughs> rifle's going to be going up and down up and down and you're not going to be able to steady your shot if you're more measured and you arrive and your pulse is sort of okay you know you're not going off, off the scale you're able to relax take the squeeze on the trigger and shoot and not miss and if you think 250 meters would take you another however many you know half a minute or a minute yes. to sort of troll yes. around especially as it's cross country um, then actually you'd be far better off running a little bit more slowly yes. and being more accurate by being by having your breathing good for when you're actually shooting. So actually, the hare and the tortoise is quite <laughs> an interesting analogy for this event. Marvelous. So there's a, so there's a lot of tactics involved, I think, in, mm-hmm. in doing this well. And anybody can do it. Absolutely anybody can if do it. If you've never fired a gun before. Absolutely. Completely. And what do you, you have shoot to be an adult at? to do it. I, I think the minimum age, I think you have to be at least sort of 16. Yeah. Just at targets. We can't have military targets because <laughs> that wouldn't be PC, would it, after all? But, uh, uh, and the clay pigeon, of course, the clay pigeons. that, uh, And you can see them when they fall when you, they break up when you hit them, of course. Yes. yes. I wouldn't know because, of course, I've never done anything like that. I'm not very sporty. I'm not a very active person, I'm afraid. <laughs> Motor mouth, yes. yes. But you might find, you know, if you went round just nice and steadily and that that's the thing and this is the same with uh, the military model the march and shoot um if you rushed and rushed and rushed and you, you we had to do it in squads of 20 30 40 people and then so on very big ranges and uh then we had what we called was falling plate falling plates wonderful because you have literally or they're not plate dinner plates but they're metal plates yeah and you have to knock them down as quickly as you possibly can off off the range from you know, a few hundred meters away, and but this is much closer. Obviously. Yes, this is, you know, this is sort of fifty meters or whatever, so yes. you can see the thing uh, and uh, and shoot the target. Uh, but it's uh, if people rushed and they didn't breathe properly, then they miss. You know, and then they do. So there's a lot to be said for going nice and steadily on this. Uh, so it's not for a super athlete. People who want to do super athlete stuff, they do the tough mudders and and so on. And this is not a tough mudder. There's okay. lots of tough mudders out there. Yeah, there isn't any anything like this. So. So you say there are coaches. Yes. For the for the actual event itself. Yes, on the 
on each um, stand, you, so you're going to be firing three times, you've got a qualified coach from British Shooting or from the Churchill uh, grounds yeah. who's there to supervise you, range safety as much as anything else. Yes, you don't want someone yes. having, uh, it doesn't matter what the uh, bullet is that's coming out of it, you know, which is obviously reasonably light. Um, but you don't want it being pointing in the wrong direction. No, so you range don't. Sa- range safety is absolutely key. Indeed. Uh, and we wouldn't have an event like it or, or it would invalidate our insurance, I'm sure, if we didn't have that absolutely. sort of supervision. Absolutely. But, the, but they're, like on, they're on the day. But yes, they're, they're on there. the day and yes. they will help you if that's what yes. you want to do. So if you've never tried anything like this before, describe to us how this would go. How, I mean, what happens? How does the whole thing work? Well, you get set off... Uh, and there'll be some intervals in terms of people being set off so you don't all end up on the range at the same time. Yes. And so the timing is critical. So if, if the range is full when you're there, you know, there's, let's say there's eight people firing and mm-hmm. you're the ninth person turning up, then the clock stops for you. So mm-hmm. you, your aggregate time is, is there and your aggregate score. Right. And if you get 15 out of the 20 targets, then you become a marksman and you get a special certificate Very good. for that. Um, so it's, but you do get briefed at the beginning, and it is all very much about the tactics of it and, and doing it. I can, I suppose I can contrast it to orienteering. The, the person who does best at orienteering isn't necessarily the fastest person. Right. Uh, so it's, and, and each each time you get onto the range, uh, you, you could be standing, which is one way of you know, breathing and, and firing, or you could be prone, which means you're lying down, yeah. and hopefully it's not mucky I was going to say, hopefully it's not muddy or snowy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> lying on the snow. And then the clay pigeon, of course, you're standing and, and, and swinging your, yes, hopefully, yes. tracking uh, the clay. Uh, it's great fun doing clay pigeon. Amazing. I've, I've never done anything like this, and I'm not, I don't think I'm fit enough to even contemplate having a go, but I'd actually like to come down on the day. That would be fantastic. And just see what's going on yes, and, come talk, and, to come and talk to a few people. Yeah, I yes. think that'd be really good fun. Yes. I've got the most lovely piece of outside broadcast kit. It's only about the size of a matchbox. It's incredible, isn't it? It how, is. How it's things amazing. Have changed. It is absolutely amazing. Yeah. So on the day, how many people do you think you might expect to come along? We hope probably in the region of two, 200, 250 people. Okay. This sort of event, if you have any more than that, that would be really quite difficult yes. uh, to manage. With the, you, know, you have to scale up the, the size of the range and so yes. on. I mean, we looked originally when we first wanted to do this event, looking at doing it at Bisley, but we realised even though Bisley's got lots of ranges, it didn't have the space to do all these 250 metre loops and, mm-hmm. and 10k mm-hmm. run and so on. So this is why this is completely perfect for us. Okay. Um, but we have other events where people go much further or we... Uh, I mean, in June, we have an event called the Catherine Yomp up in uh, the Cairngorms, where people go 54 miles. But if they don't want to do 54 miles, everyone's a winner. So they do 23 miles, they get a bronze medal, and they get cheered and clapped in, and they get a medal, and so that's their achievement. Uh, then they go to 30, I think 35, 36 miles is a silver medal, and then 54 for the gold is tough, though. Um, and we have quite a few army teams. We have teams from America, the U.S. Marine Corps come over. Amazing. We have the fastest couple. I might uh, have fast- to come down just to observe. Wow. <laughs> and it's so beautiful up in Scotland as well in middle of the summer. I mean, even at 10 o'clock at night, there's still some sunshine. Yeah. Or still some sunlight, yes, shall I say. Yes. Uh, and it's uh, a very special part of the country. And, and people love that sort of event. But that's different. There's no shooting in that. Yes. Right? Because this is a... Completely this different. Is nice different. This is yeah. This is yes. very different. I've not heard of an event like this. I have to be honest. That's open to anybody to come in and participate. Absolutely, first of its kind. Indeed. Yeah. So it's raising money. You're going to be raising money. So how do how do people sign up? And I will just stress that if you can only have about 250 people, 
then the sooner people sign up, the better, quite yes. frankly. Yes, I before mean, it gets filled up. We're well into three figures now, so we need to people need to get in get and, in. and do it. But they go on to our, our website, yes. www.soldierscharity.org backslash rifle run. Yeah, very easy to find. Yeah, and actually. Because of today, because of your lovely self, if they put in the code Mimi, then they'll get a £10 discount. M-I-M-I. M-I-M-I. Because normally it costs you £49 to register. So Uh we appreciate we've got costs in in running this, you know, the the ammunition and so on. Of course. Um, So £49, but you get £10 off if you go in and enter the code Mimi. (laughs) M-I-M-I. And clearly we'd like you to do some fundraising as well. Absolutely. So they can enter with that special code and they can get £10 off. And that £39 goes towards the charity itself goes to yes and the, the running the costs, co- and some of the yes, running costs yes. as well um but they can also raise extra funding from people from people they know from yes, their social absolutely. circles from their family we are asking them uh, to have a target of, of 250 pounds which sounds a lot and uh, some people make it some people surpass it yes. uh, some people don't quite make it yeah but it's really you know do your best to yeah. see what you what you can do uh, or you could self-fund it if, if you've got that spare cash line absolutely yeah. no i think that's wonderful yeah. and the whole point is to raise money for the charity it's to raise money and it's to raise awareness yeah. and bring up we're, we're a charity we're, we're a bit strange in many ways abf the soldiers charity is is not as uh, glitzy as, as some we're not as well known as the royal british legion or indeed help for heroes uh, who've done a fantastic amount for raising awareness of service charities you know around the, the country they've done incredibly well uh, but actually we're more of a i wouldn't say we're steady eddy because we've been around a long time and we have to be around for a very very long time in the future mm-hmm. we're supporting uh, veterans let's say uh, who've got blown up in afghanistan lost limbs at the age of you know 25 mm. that this is 10 years on now from yes. losing those limbs and they're going to be around for another 40 years yes. 40 50 years yes and how the body changes and adapts to the prosthetics and and, and all the things that that uh, are so complicated yes i mean the army does incredibly well uh, the, uh, the army medical service which i say does incredibly well in saving people and people who survive the battlefield now would never have survived you know 20 30 years ago yes but they do and they need to go on and have fulfilling and rich lives uh, and that's it's very pleasing to see that the beneficiaries that we work with some of them become ambassadors for the charity and they're so obviously grateful for that intervention at the right time yes. when when you couldn't be in a worse situation you know coming out of coming out of uh, the, the hospital in, in Birmingham you know missing limbs and going back to family who had to adjust and it's not necessarily partners it could be mothers yes you've got an 18 year old they weren't necessarily have a partner you know it's it's more the mother and father have to deal with it and whether charity is able to help just at the right time um i mean one of my best stories completely aside from afghanistan i think to tell you today is how we helped a family whose husband was uh he'd left the army 20 years before Mm -hmm. after doing 22 years as a royal engineer and he was working on a contract work in the yemen now the yemen is a dangerous place he knew that and he was taking different routes to work and all that sort of thing but he was actually captured by al-qaeda and taken hostage and he was a hostage for a year and a half um and his family never thought he'd come back. You know, the charity helped very quietly, um, helped uh, with household bills and so on to keep her and her boys you know, in their home. And then he was rescued. Uh, and he was so pleased to come back and find his family. He'd been looked after by yes. the charity. He's been one of our most fantastic supporters. Oh, um, that's amazing. That's a beautiful story. And he'd had a, that terrible time of orange mm. jumpsuit and 
and sack over his head and pistol to his head and, and this sort of thing and two million ransom uh, and uh, he's just so grateful but he and all these people are affected in different ways over, over time and uh, so many soldiers who do get injured they may have a visible injury but there's the invisible side is so so yes. much the PTSD oh, and, yes. and manifesting itself in so many different ways but I met a delightful uh, young man I wouldn't call his name on, on air uh, but he came with us on our frontline walk which was done in uh, October in France last year where we did the last hundred days of, of the First World War and he'd been blown up um, and he actually kept his limbs but he suffered terribly from PTSD uh, but he retraded uh, after he was medically discharged as a plasterer and he found being a plasterer very cathartic he can visit he has to concentrate very much you know beautiful flat walls beautiful flat ceilings and so on and it requires so much concentration he finds it helps him with his PTSD yes uh, as, as it's a focus su- isn't it yeah. it's a focus uh, as we support um, some charities who do horticultural therapy that's like another great one for, yes you know actually being a tree surgeon mm-hmm. you know, with a great big chainsaw mm-hmm. is very cathartic for someone who's <laughs> perhaps been in a, a war zone and yes. suffering. So it's things. not just about money then. It's about actually finding avenues for people to go down to help them yes. to get through this, the, you know, the, the trauma that they may have suffered. Absolutely. So we support a, quite a number. I mean, last year, 82 different organisations who look after specifically mm. uh, soldier veterans, veterans and their families. Sometimes they're tri-service and we work very well tri-service. And people perhaps don't understand. They say, oh, there's too many service charities. Actually, well, they, they may have a point, but we work very, very well together. Uh, so we'll work with uh, people who provide the special needs, the combat stress for the mental health. We provide them quite a lot of funding. We have a lot of funding for this Commonwealth Health Services League, uh, for horticultural therapies, for even a sailing charity, mm. which helps anything mm. which helps people yes. at different stages, whether yes. it's housing, uh, retraining and so on it's a, it's a through life uh, approach of support and that's what really counts i think it's mm-hmm. it's not just a chuck it in the bucket and forget of forget course. the person it's it's following through i mean you mentioned um the royal british legion um as one of the other charities that also supports um armed forces personnel um i mean how are you different fantastic charity i mean obviously they they do a huge amount uh, globally um, they have uh, extra bits to, to us because they do the, the sort of the ceremonial the, the commemoration and, and so on uh, so we wouldn't be anywhere without the Legion so f- fantastic mm-hmm. yeah, we, we love the Legion yes but we really specialize in, in just looking after soldiers the families the immediate families right. I should say and, and veterans and whilst they have uh, a fantastic reputation and are very very well known and we're not so well known what's interesting is each year there's a survey done by an organization called third sector and for four years running actually for the 150 top charities in the country by income so we're talking i mean we're about 20 million a year income mm-hmm. for that those top 150 for four years we've been either first or first equal on trust trusted to deliver on promises and spending money wisely and by goodness that goes down well with corporates i mean companies out there uh very often they can't give charity money the yep. shareholders wouldn't allow that yep. but what they'll often do the big companies and the banks is that their employees will be encouraged to come and take part in rifle run yes and they'll raise 250 pounds and they'll match fund oh fantastic and we find a lot of companies do fantastic. that so, so if any of your listeners are in companies where they might match fund employees yes. for doing this sort of event amazing uh, that's great 
Uh, and the, the key thing for us is that the money raised really does go to, to that charitable effect. And so, I mean, as we're trusted, you know, number one, first equal. I mean, we're ahead of Macmillan and... Yes, but you Ormond can't Street get better than that, can you? Which is so st- very powerful message. Indeed, it is a powerful message. Would you mind giving us the web address again, please, for people to sign up? Yes, please. www.soldierscharity, no spaces in that. So www.soldierscharity.org backslash rifle run. And it's £49? £49. Unless? Unless you go M-I-M-I on the code and it's then 39 Amazing. You're listening to Mimi Harker and my very special guest today is Brigadier Robin Bacon. And we've been talking about all sorts. And the charity that you are the chief of staff for is just brilliant. It's amazing. I love the work that you do with that. Um, And you touched very, very briefly on the amazing career. You're a very modest man, I have to say, Robin. You know, so anyway, I'm going to ask you with all the wonderful things you've done in your life, with the places you've been, the people you've met and you've traveled all around the world, what has made the biggest impact on you? Thank you for that, Mimi. It's it's a very difficult question to answer because there's so many different aspects. And mm. I talked about the Hong Kong Chinese sort of side and being mentored by very wise people in understanding the sensitivity of, of face, you know, not losing face and and all that, that goes with that. And so the ability to be able to talk to someone in a way so you're not telling them off in an overt way and they, mm-hmm. they're happy then with, with that. But what I'm not really like to talk about is my time in Angola. I was in Angola in the mid-90s and I was the chief logistics officer uh, for the United Nations force there. And the United Nations force is a real mixture of people. And I was one of three British uh, members of the, of the team. There were about 12,000 people out there. a Zimbabwean general, and an Indian uh, brigadier in charge, and I was a lieutenant colonel. And with immense responsibility, because this is a huge country, you know, twice the size of France, um, end of 25-year civil war, uh, having to provide logistic support to these 12,000 people spread mm. all over Angola. Mm. And not an easy place to operate in. And every airstrip, I kid you not, every airstrip had bomb craters in. Yes. But we had to deliver by aircraft. So we had pilots from all over the place, uh, from Ukraine and South Africa, who would land aircraft on the edge of a strip and so on and do things. And trying to pull all this sort of thing together. And I went down to South Africa to scrounge tents and so on for this force. As they scrounge, asked very politely from the South Defence Force, who were terribly nice. And they were very, very generous, and they gave me an awful lot of awful lot of kit. You know, it was 120 tons of kit. And we put it on this enormous aircraft, an Antonov aircraft, and at half past four in the morning, we flew it back. I didn't fly it. I was there in the, in the back. Yes. And we flew this stuff back to Angola, and it was, my goodness, it was all this tentage for what were essentially refugees, all the demobilized uh, uh, forces. And what was so wonderful about it, and the impact it had on me, was that, A, you could improvise. You could always improvise, mm-hmm. uh, and you could fix anything, mm-hmm. you know, if with a bit of imagination. If you're not too worried about health and safety and so on, but just get on and, and do it. And with, actually, an international force. So I had 15 uh, staff on my team, all of whom were from different continents, Brazilian, Uruguayans, um, Indians, you know, you name it, had someone different. And what I learned is every morning we had what we call prayers, which is a military thing. It's not really prayers, but it's just a five-minute meeting at eight o'clock to make sure everyone knows what they're doing. Yes. And so it was very much at the beginning. I, I was able to rattle off, and I can't remember it all now, but it was a good morning in every language. So, you know, bom dia, bordes dias. Marvellous. You know, and, so uh, and so 15 of those. Uh, <laughs> and I can well, do a few more, I suppose, like como esta and so on. Uh, and they all love that, and they and actually I was told that you know the 
British Army and we're jolly good and so on. And we are jolly. The British Army is very good. Yes. Uh, but actually, when you're operating with 12,000 other countries, and they can be from anything from Bangladesh to Brazil to Uruguay and so on, you've got to make the best of people. And they were my team was fantastic. And it gave me a lot of faith in, do you know, it's not... It's never the soldier's fault. It's how you lead people and how you... Ins- if you can inspire people to do yes. their best. And I I really felt, and I came away uh, after oh, seven or eight months of that, thinking we've achieved something. We've achieved something together with these wonderful collection, uh, eclectic, eclectic collection of people from all over the world. And they all put the shoulder to the wheel, and you, you can do it. Uh, you don't have to have... Um, necessarily British boots on the ground and as Baroness Chalker was uh, running the Foreign Office at the time and she briefed myself and the other two Brits who had other jobs there saying just go out there and give it some backbone and it was a wonderful, wonderful. opportunity I to, love that phrase uh, for all the way uh, for the rest of my career I thought oh I wish I could take those shortcuts we were able to take because we didn't have to refer to anybody yes. we just had to obviously tell New York how much we're spending yes. uh, which is the UN headquarters but it was just absolutely fascinating and in trying to get the very best we could for these poor people who'd been a beautiful country, completely ravaged uh, by war, and yet uh, should have been the breadbasket of Africa. Yes. Know, diamonds and oil everywhere, apparently. And uh, not, not we saw any diamonds. I was going to say, you didn't go digging then. <laughs> no. <laughs> I would have. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that, so that was, that was quite an influence on me. Um, I've been thinking, yes, you can... You, you can, if you cut to the chase, you can achieve anything. Uh, you don't need to have everything lined up to, to do something. It's this 80-20 rule. Yes. You, know, you, you can, you've got to go with your instincts. Uh, and it gave me the confidence to do that. Uh, and I had the support of and the confidence of the, the team in New York said, yes, just get on with it. You know, and that was wonderful. And of course, that goes into other areas of your life as well, doesn't it? When you understand that concept that you've just talked about. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, and so... I, I've been involved uh, for a number of years with a number of other charities. As I say, I help with the Hong Kong um, former soldiers and sailors. We don't differentiate between the soldiers and sailors, which we're very dry service. Uh, they need help just as much as anybody else, Indeed. so we look after, after both. Um, and I'm involved in a very small charity which uh, provides speech therapy training for young children, uh, young ch- children of you know, in any sort of age. Yes. And what particularly drew me to that was helping young offenders. I thought if they could communicate well, then if they learn to communicate, that's such a passport to education, yes. jobs and so on, rather than, dare I say it, a few short expletives and grunts Absolutely. and Absolutely, you're speaking my language here. And I, f- I find that incredibly powerful. Yes. Um, I mean, it's like with the charity and the service charities generally do an awful lot between us to reach in to the criminal justice system to find former servicemen and to help them so they get out of there and onto a new path and and it's wonderful when you read about uh, organizations where people have that's in their past yes you know, and they've they get through that but yes. they need they need that hand up to get them out and, and along don't we all though i yes. mean whatever whatever you're doing in life you do need that hand up to help you get along yes. and if you're providing it and you can see where it's needed it's so satisfying Enormously satisfying. Yeah, it, it, the, it, hardly a day goes by when I don't think, oh, I'm very proud of what the charity or, say, say the service charity is what we do. Um, and you think, well, yeah, it, it, could we do it any differently? Possibly. But actually, have we made a difference? Yes. And it's all about making a difference to people. Um, 
And Dara said, you know, when you get to the pearly gates, you knock, knock, you know, what have you done? <laughs> well, I've, I've done this, this, that, and yes, uh, a few my things. Bit. I've done my bit. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you're married. Yes, I have yes. a lovely wife, Celia, who's a, actually a speech therapist, Indeed. but she works with adult, adults. Indeed, and 36 years, Th- you said? 35 years. 35 Lange. years? Yes, 35 wonderful years. Okay, yeah. children? Yes, two boys. Two boys. Uh, are are they, very, have they followed in your footsteps? No, they haven't, but uh, I have, they're very international. Uh, one, my older boy, he, he lives in Barcelona and works in property, and my younger boy, he's in um, social media, he manages uh, quite a big social media team in, in London, international team. Um, so... Dara said, I, I shouldn't comment on their views on Brexit. Uh, it's their personal <laughs> views. But they're very European. <laughs> indeed, indeed, yes. indeed. Robin, our hour is up. I can't believe it's gone so quickly. It has flown by it's and been, it's been amazing. I've loved talking to you. I've just loved our conversation today. It's been brilliant and eye-opening and there's so much going on. And just for the for you know for our listeners, um, would you mind repeating again the date of your wonderful event here in Wickham and how they can get involved, please? Sunday, the fourteenth of April, twenty nineteen, at the EJ Churchill Shooting Ground in High Wickham. Go on to our website www.soldierscharity.org/backslash/rifle-run for full details and get signed up. And remember to sign up with MIMI code. And that gets you a discount, ladies and gents. So there you go, £10 off. But of course, you can give that back in a donation if you wish to. It's just, you know, it would be lovely to see lots of people from Wickham taking part in this. It would be fantastic. Really nice, really, really nice. So, Robin, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story with us and talking to us about your amazing charity. Um, really excited about this event. I think we ought to be there with a bit of an outside broadcast crew on the day and uh, just talk to a few people. What do you reckon? That would be fantastic. We I look forward we, to that. Yeah, I think that'd be really good fun. That's a must. It Hold is a must. I think that's a. Yeah, we, 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 I'll talk to Pippa about it as well. I'm sure she'd love to come down and let's let's just do that with you um, to see how it goes. So, people of High Wickham, come on, sign up so you can come and talk to us on the day. And um, it's been amazing, just lovely talking to you. I've really enjoyed it. Come back and talk to us another day, won't you? Thank you. That'd be thank really, you so really much, good. Mimi. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you very much for listening this week. It's been a pleasure to have your company. Uh, my very special guest, a huge big thank you to you, Brigadier Robin Bacon. It's been fascinating having you here on the show, listening to your story and to hear about your charity and how Wickham can take part in a great fundraising experience. You've been listening to Mimi Harker. This is Mimi Meets, and you've been listening on Wickham Sound. You've been listening to a podcast from Wickham Sound. To find out more, head to wickhamsound.org.uk.